Good morning. Hey, great to see you all here today. Does our band rock or what? Aren't we thankful for them? What a great way to start in worship. Uh, can we pray together this morning? Can we bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this time today, Lord. This is your day, and uh, we just feel privileged and honored to be able to come into this place uh, to worship your name through song, Lord, uh, to be together and to enjoy each other's company, God, and we just anticipate the great things that you want to do in our lives today, Lord. And so we invite you to be a part of this place. We invite you to work inside of us. We invite you to do greater things in our life, God. May we be attentive to your words today, Lord. May we be ready to listen. And wherever we are in our lives right now, God, you know. You know every bit of the story. You know all of the details. And would you just show up in our lives today, God, and encourage us and remind us that you're here. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw. If you are a part of the Genesis family and you haven't been here in a few weeks, you may have no idea who I am and just wonder who the doofus is on stage. But uh, uh, my wife and I, we're excited to be here. Uh, I'm the lead pastor of Genesis Church. I get to be a part of this team, and I get to be a part of this church, and I'm very, very excited about that. We've had a great week. Uh, we, we've sold our house in Louisville, and we close on Tuesday, which we're very excited about. Praise God. And uh, we're surviving with three kids in apartment life. No injuries this week, uh, no disab you know, nobody getting hurt or any of those types of things. So it was a good week, and we've got a house that uh, we're, we're kind of interested in. So God just continues to put the pieces together. We know that He's called us here, and we're excited to call Genesis our home. I'll tell you one of the things that I love about this place that I've noticed just in my first two weeks of being here is how long it takes you people to get into the room uh, because you're all out consuming coffee and bagel products and all of that good stuff. That's a sign of a great church. Uh, just the people just, you know, coming in and connecting and uh, getting to know each other uh, and that, that we kind of race into this room together. But, you know, what happens out there counts. And, uh, and so if you call Genesis home, uh, you know, let, let's always be reminded to welcome others. You know, maybe you're checking out Genesis. Maybe you've been here for, for a few weeks now. Maybe today's your first day. We want to welcome you here. You are our guest, and we want to be able to serve you in any way that we can. And we would love for you to be a part of this family. Uh, we believe that God's doing a great work here at this church on Pleasant Street and that He's got a great mission in store for us. And uh, we would love for you to be a part of it, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey right now. And so there are ways... For you to find out more about this church, to get connected to our family, uh, make sure to check out the bulletin. There's a connection card in there where you can tell us a little bit about yourself. We will not stalk you, I promise. We won't call you unless you ask us to. We will not come looking for you if you're not here next week, uh, but we'd love to be able to share some more information with you. So fill out that card and you can put it in the offering plate or if you need to, take it to the info hub afterwards. We can answer all of your questions uh, and help you in any way that we can. Um, our ushers are going to come forward right now. We're going to take our offering. And you guys cheer for that, and that's great and exciting and all. But uh, we believe that God has called us as followers of Jesus Christ to give our time and our talent, but also our treasure back to Him. Uh, when we give uh, from our own finances, what we're saying is this, God, we trust you, and we trust you that we'll, you will take care of our needs, and we trust you that you'll take these gifts and you'll do much more uh, than we ever could. And so that's why we give. And so when those bags come, you can pass them along. Please don't feel pressured to give in any way. Uh, but this is just a way that we, we say to God that we trust you. You know, every single one of us is susceptible to mind games. 
We can all fall victim to them. We give in to them at any time. We, we all play mind games. Do you remember those magic eye illusions? Uh, we've got a picture here. They were popular for a while. And people thought they were great, and they hung them up in their office or their home, or they'd flip through books. I found this one on the Internet. Now, how many of you have already seen the picture in the picture on this eye illusion? Because I know there are some of you that just have these crazy magical powers that you can look into that picture and see another. And that's how it works. You know, if you focus on any given point in that picture for long enough, there is a picture within the picture that emerges. I have never, ever seen the picture within the picture. How many of you are like me? How many of you have never seen the picture within the picture? Okay, so I'm not alone. How many of you, you, you can see it, or maybe you've already seen it? Any, anybody found this one yet? Anybody? I know it's kind of hard because it's on the screen and all. Well, supposedly Lady Liberty is in there somewhere, and that if you look at it long enough, you'll, you'll see the Statue of Liberty. As far as I know, there could be a pterodactyl or a leprechaun in there, okay? And if you told me, I'd believe you because I can't get my mind to a place as I focus on that picture long enough to see through the picture to see that there's something else hidden behind it. I, I just can't do it. The, my mind gets the best of me. I give up. I can't handle the pressure. We all play mind games. Uh, we, I, I play mind games when I run. I, I like to run. I like to exercise. But sometimes I can be the biggest wimp in actually starting my run and getting to the finish line successfully. And so I have to play games as I run. You know, especially as I, if I'm like coming to the last half mile or something, I have to start saying to myself, okay, if I can just make it to that stop sign up ahead... I'll start there, and then I'll get to the next object. So I'll get to that stop sign, and then I'll look ahead and see a car parked along the side of the road. And I'll say, okay, now, just get to that parked car. And if I play that game long enough, and I, if I can psych myself up, I can actually make it to the finish line. And so I play mind games while I jog. Now, some of you play mind games, especially guys with sporting events. I happen to know that Steve Wallen played a mind game last week during the Colts' uh, horrible you know, performance in the first half. Down at halftime, no points. And Steve realized that he wasn't wearing his Colts jersey. So he went up to his bedroom. He told me this and put on his Colts jersey. What happened? The Colts came back and won the game. Now, how many of you have done that before? Because I've done that sort of things. Like I've been sitting in a particular chair, you know, for the first half. And my team, you know, was falling apart. They weren't playing well. And I switched to another seat, maybe the sofa. And all of a sudden, we made a comeback and, and we won the game. And, and for some reason, just my reposition. Now, guys, you know what I'm talking about because I know you've done it, all right? And those of you that are laughing especially, this guy right down here in the front with the Pittsburgh Steelers shirt on. Are you allowed to wear that in here? All right. Uh, we, we, we play these sort of mind games. We play mind games in our relationships. You know, husbands, you know, you and your wife, you, you go out on a date you're trying to decide where to eat dinner, your wife is not going to tell you where she wants to go. But here's the game, because there's always a game. It's up to you to guess what she is thinking, all right? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, we play mind games in our dating relationships. You know, you've called him two times in a row now. You're not about to call a third time, because if you call a third time, like, he might think you like him or something you know, or, or you're crazy. And so you back off until he finally picks up the phone and, and calls you. So we play mind games in our relationships. Marketers play games with us. You know, if you walk through the grocery store, you know, you might find a bag of Doritos or something that says like, now 25% more crunch. Well, what does that mean? You know, but you don't want to be left out. I mean, if everybody's getting in on this new craze, this new fad of more crunch, you want to be a part of it. 
And if that's got 25% more crunch, I'm going to buy that. You know, I want to be a part of the Dorito craze, you know, the the 25% more crunch. You don't want to be left out. We all play mind games. We're susceptible to them. We we fall victim to them. Things start happening in our minds all around us, and, and we give in. But sometimes the mind games get dangerous. And we start thinking things that aren't necessarily true, and all of a sudden they become true to us. We we play these mind games that are dangerous when we begin telling ourselves, like, I'm not pretty enough. There couldn't possibly be anyone out there that would want to have anything to do with me. Or, I'm too fat. I can't get control of my life. I'll never prove myself. I'll always be letting people down. Or, or when you're consumed with guilt because of some of the past choices and decisions that you've made and you, And you say things like, well, God can't be happy with me, or how would he ever love me for what I've done? Or when you're consumed with pain, and and you say, I'm suffering, and, and God is nowhere to be found, and if he were real, he wouldn't let me go through this junk. God can't be out there. And the most dangerous mind games that we play are those where we try and convince ourselves that something which is untrue has all of a sudden come true, that it's worth believing, and it shapes us and affects us in the way that we live. You know, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, it's easy to lose faith. We all lose faith, don't we? We all struggle with faith from time to time as we go through these difficult seasons or these trying times or a tragedy, and it's easy to give up hope. It's easy to get mixed up in our thinking and in our beliefs, and when this happens, we start listening to the lies. But sadly, over time, if we hear them long enough, we start to believe them. And we've all gone through seasons where we've struggled, and, and you know, maybe you're sitting here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, you've never surrendered your life to Him. You're not even really sure what that means. And you've been coming here for a while and, and trying to listen and trying to understand what this is all about and why people get into this. And you've gone through some difficult and lonely and frustrating times yourself. Maybe you're in one right now. You're right in the middle of it. And it's in these difficult seasons that it becomes even more difficult to believe that God could be real and that He's good and that there's a life that you could have that would be worth living. Well, over the next few weeks... The next three weeks, we're going to do this series, which is just simply called Mind Games. It's about faith. It's about our faith and and how our faith holds up and what it means to believe. And when our mind wants to wander, you know, when we feel like giving up hope, how, how do we push through those times? How do we hold on to the truth that God speaks to us in His Word? How can we be strong? How can we survive? And so we're going to look at the life of Gideon. We're going to go to the book of Judges and and look at a guy by the name of Gideon one of the judges in the Old Testament, and we're going to examine his faith journey and some of the experiences and encounters that he had with God so that we might be able to to more closely see how he grew in his faith and how he stumbled at times and how we can do the same. But let's begin with a definition, just a simple definition of faith. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, just a, a very clear and simple definition of faith. Faith means to hold something as true. Faith means to hold something as true. It means to have great confidence in something or someone. 
Faith means to hold something as true. It means to have great confidence in something or someone. Let me give you a scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, very simple definition of faith. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. It means to hold something as true. It means to have confidence in something or someone. That's faith. And faith is the greatest asset we have. You know, especially as believers, especially as followers of Jesus Christ. Faith is the greatest asset that we have because think of everything that comes to us by faith. I mean, you can have faith that when you drive your car across this bridge that it's going to hold up. We put our faith in that bridge that it was well taken care of, that it was well built, and that we can get across it. We have faith when we take our kids to school and drop them off and trust that when we return or when they get off the school bus that they will indeed be there. We practice faith. But what about faith in our, our, our Christian walk or, or what it means uh, for us as followers of Jesus Christ? You know, faith is a, greatest, is a great asset when it comes to our salvation. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Since we have been made right with God by our faith, we have peace with God. This happened through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what God has done for us in sending His Son Jesus Christ into the world, to give his life for you and me, when we accept that, when we put our faith in that, we receive life. We are made right with God. We have peace with him. Faith is a great asset when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, it says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we have received the promise given to us that the Holy Spirit, that God Himself now lives inside of us, that He is always with us, that He never lets us down. His presence is with us at all times. Faith is an asset to us when it comes to seeing our victory over the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 5. Because everyone who is a child of God conquers the world. that sound great? And we're not losers. We have already won. The victory has already been accomplished. We are conquerors of the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. That's what gets us through. That's where we put our trust and our confidence. We put it in God. We put our faith in Christ who has given us victory over this world and he's given us victory in this life. But while faith can be the greatest asset that we have, Unbelief can be the greatest stumbling block in our life, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. It's the mother's sin. It caused Eve to sin in the Garden of Eden. It caused Peter to sink when he was out on the water. What does unbelief have to do with us? Well, when we're saturated in worry, you know, and unbelief overcomes us, and we start saying things like, God, I, I don't think you can handle this. I mean, with the economy the way it is, I'll never sell my home. I won't be able to get through finals. There's no way that I'll be able to graduate. We're overcome by worry. We're overcome by unbelief. Or when we're consumed by guilt. You know, you've messed up royalty. You can't, royally, you can't find forgiveness on earth. There's no way you're going to find it in heaven. That's what you believe. You know, this unbelief overcomes you. Your faith falls apart. And you can't imagine getting anything from God. Or when you're plagued with loneliness and you're stuck in a rut or the worst crisis you've ever faced and you're lonely, 
and God is not responding and you feel abandoned by Him and no one seems to care. And all of a sudden we're overcome by this unbelief and it changes the way that we think and it affects our minds and it ruins us. We start playing these mind games. We convince ourselves that something which is not true all of a sudden has come true. It's thinking wrong thoughts about God and His promises and His faithfulness. So I just think we need a, a real quick lesson on faith, and we'll come back to this a little bit over the next couple of weeks. But very quickly, I just want to touch on a few things that, that will kind of motivate us and guide us over the next few weeks. It's this. There's three of them. First of all, a lesson on faith. You can't have faith in faith. We can't put our faith in faith. There is no power in faith alone. Faith is not mystical. It's not magical. It's not concentrating hard enough to, to think about this chair and to think that I can move it from one side of the room to the other side of the room without touching it. it it's not going into a trance. You know, faith isn't just simply positive living or optimism. You can't have faith in faith. I like what Adrian Rogers said. He says, misplaced faith is very dangerous. So first, you can't have faith in faith. But secondly, your faith must be in something. If you can't have faith in faith, your faith must be in something. Faith alone does not move mountains. God moves mountains. Our faith in God is what moves mountains. Mark 11, verse 22, Jesus said, have faith in God. Our faith can't be in faith. Our faith must be in something. As followers of Jesus Christ, our faith must be in God. Only God can move mountains. We are to believe in God. We are to put our trust in Him, our faith in Him as a source of power and strength. What does the Bible say about that faith in God? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, so faith comes from hearing the good news, and people hear the good news when something tells them about Christ. And so the third thing is this. Faith is a gift from God. And according to chapter, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where does faith come from? It, it, it comes from God. It's not just something that we work up inside of us that through experience that, you know, we're just able in our own power and our own strength to have this great faith. Faith comes from God. And sometimes when it at least appears that we have lost faith, we need to turn back to God and ask Him to give us the faith to get through the trying times. And the promises of the Word are that we can expect something from God when we turn to Him, that when we suffer, when we struggle... When we fight temptation, when we seek to make right decisions, we seek faith from God. Faith is His gift to us. And as one writer said, faith is heaven's currency to all those who will put their trust in Him. And so faith is great. It's a great asset. But how does faith work when we feel all alone and abandoned? How does it work when it seems like everything is crashing in? There is no light at the end of the tunnel, and there appears to be no hope. And all of a sudden, Satan starts finding his way into your weaknesses. He starts speaking some things into your mind, and you start asking questions, and you are overcome by unbelief, and you lose hope, and these mind games consume you. And you start thinking these wrong thoughts. You start believing things that are untrue, to be true. And that's what we find in the life of Gideon. And so we're going to look to him as our example here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. 
may not sound real exciting to start, but hang with me. Judges chapter 6 is in the Old Testament, uh, towards the front of the book. Uh, I'll provide, we'll provide the text on the screen, but if you've got your own Bibles, it'd be great to read along for yourself. Uh, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to read together here just a few verses and, and just get to barely know a little bit about Gideon, and then we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of his life and his calling over the next couple of weeks, next week for sure. Judges chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 1. Let me read this for you. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's pretty important to note from the very beginning of the story. Some of their circumstances that they will face were a direct result of the evil that they had, had practiced. And for seven years, he, meaning God, gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And so the Jews or the Israelites, we learned here in the very beginning, were in a great mess. They were in a mess a lot. And in Judges chapter 6, they found themselves in a very difficult situation. They faced complete destruction as a people, as a nation. Their hope was not good. Life for the Israelite where people like Gideon was unraveling quickly. The Midianites were a nearby power, a very oppressive power, and the text tells us that they were more powerful than the Israelite nation, or at least Israel believed. And for seven years, seven years, seven straight years, God allowed the Midianites to raid the nation of Israel repeatedly. And they were so nasty. That as we learn in the text, the Jewish people faced impo or poverty, they were displaced, and they were near destruction. I mean, the Midianites were ready to wipe the nation of Israel out until God had enough. He had seen enough. And around the time of the eighth Midianite invasion, God called on a farmer by the name of Gideon, who we'll meet in just a second. And Gideon was chosen by God to serve as a judge for the people. And that's where this book gets its name. Gideon would be a judge, and, and you might recall a few other judges from the Bible. You might recall Othniel and Deborah and Samson and Judge Judy, um, and no, really, thank you, thank you. There's your little pastor joke for the day, all right? Well, these are not the judges as we know judges today. Instead, a, a judge in the Bible was a, a military leader on most occasions or a specific person chosen for a specific time to help deliver God's people, which is what we're going to see in Gideon. And he was chosen for this specific task and purpose. Well, more space is de de devoted to Gideon than to any other judge, and his personal struggle with faith is the only struggle of any of the judges recorded in this book. 
but it was in his faith that he struggled. He had lost hope. He had heard the stories of the faithful God of the past. He knew the promises that God had made about the nation of Israel and how the promised land would always be there. But now, with all hope gone, in eight years of pain, frustration, and confusion, Gideon, along with many of these Israelites, were at their end. He was consumed with fear and frustration and anger. He was deep into playing mind games about God and His faithfulness. Look, if you would, again, uh, to Judges chapter 6. Let's pick it up in verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And so as early in the text says, the Israelites were hiding in the mountains. Gideon is hiding in the mountains all alone, isolated by himself, just trying to make a living, just trying to, to come up with food. He's just simply trying to survive. He's all by himself. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now catch his words here. But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. We, we just see the simple honesty in heart of one of God's own, impoverished, displaced, waiting on God, seven years of pain and frustration and anger and hopelessness. Where is God? It's as if God has abandoned us and there is no hope. That word abandon is a cutting word, isn't it? And some of you know the reality of, of the word pretty well. You, you've experienced some sort of abandonment in your life. You know, maybe you had a parent leave as, as a child, and you've had little contact with that parent, or you've never met that parent or ever heard from them ever again. So you know abandonment very well. Or your best friend turned their back on you in an instant, it didn't take much, but this one that you counted on and trusted in and, and one that listened to you over and over again, they were gone, they abandoned you, and you've never had much contact with them since, or your spouse left you with no warning at all. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? You know, maybe you're in that place right now. How many of you have ever heard of Stephen Curtis Chapman? Okay, quite a few of you around the room. Stephen Curtis Chapman is a famous songwriter and performer. He's won many awards for his songs, some of them that you probably would recognize. On May 17, 2008, the Chapman family was enjoying a day outside in their front yard in Franklin, Tennessee. It was a great day. Probably couldn't have been an even better day. There was a lot of excitement and enthusiasm for the family. They were celebrating the engagement of their oldest daughter and making preparations for what would come over the next months and the wedding soon to happen, and they had no idea on what appeared to be a perfect day with all of their children with them and some of the neighbors nearby, what was waiting right around the corner. Because their day of laughs and excitement quickly turned to tears and hopelessness. 
no one could have ever known. You, maybe you've heard this story, you read about it, it's been in the news, but as the family and some neighbors played in the front yard that day, their five-year-old daughter Maria raced from the grass to the driveway to welcome her 17-year-old brother Will home. He was coming down the drive in his SUV, and while Maria ran as fast as she could to greet her brother, Will had no idea she was coming. He never saw her, and in that one terrible instance, everything changed. The joy of the day came to a crashing end. Maria was struck by the SUV and was later pronounced dead at the local hospital. And you know, it, it's, it's difficult for me to imagine what such pain is like. I've been fortunate enough to have never experienced depth or the pain at, at such a depth. You know, the loss, the loneliness, the emptiness, the hopelessness. There's no words that can describe it. And I pray that I never have to experience such pain, but some of you, you know it pretty well. You've experienced it. You're living in the midst of some of that pain right now. And, and, and sure, in others' eyes, your story might not be as horrific as this one, but it's still your story. It's still your life. You've experienced the pain and the loneliness. You have felt the abandonment. You know, you lost a child or maybe it was a miscarriage or just the difficulty of even getting pregnant or a rebellious child who left long ago and they don't appear like they're ever going to come back or your medical report and the, the news was bad and it, it just wasn't bad, but it was real bad. And they've given you no hope, or there's little hope, and you feel lost with nowhere to return, or your marriage went from good to worse in no time, and, and you're still together, but you have no idea if you're going to make it, or, or just nothing seems to be going right. You know, it, it's nothing great, but it's just all of these pieces. When with every phone call, something gets worse, and with every piece of mail that comes in, another bill, somebody wanting to be paid. And here's what's hard. You're a new Christian. You've just recently put your faith in God. And you couldn't feel more lonely than you have ever felt in your life because of what you're facing. And so when these things hit us and when we go through these seasons, these times of no answers and loneliness and apparent, what feels like abandonment, you just can't help but ask, where's God? I mean, where, where was God when you lost a child? Where was God when the phone call came in? Where was God when you were simply living life as best as you could? And now it's all come crashing in. And honestly, you've lost hope. You're not even sure if, if he's out there. And if he is, is he good? Is he faithful? Will he do what he has promised that he will do? One writer recently wrote about her experience with a recent Stephen Curtis Chapman concert and some of her interaction with him. And here's what she wrote, if you'll just bear with me for a second. She says, it's not often you leave a concert reflecting on the words of a song by a different artist. But as I exited the July 24, 2008 Stephen Curtis Chapman event, the words of a Matt Redman worship song echoed through my head. Chapman opened the concert with, Blessed Be Your Name, just two months after the death of his five-year-old daughter, Maria Sue, in a tragic accident at the family's home. Blessed Be Your Name was also the first song that Chapman sang May 21st, the day of Maria's death when he wasn't sure he'd ever be able to sing again. Inspired by the story of Job, at one point the lyrics repeat, he gives and takes away. 
As I sang this song, it wasn't a song. It was a cry, a scream, a prayer. Chapman explained to the audience of nearly 5,000, I found amazing comfort and peace that surpasses all understanding. Chapman also shared that after Maria's death, he reconsidered the words to all his songs and whether he could still sing and believe. Instead, losing his little girl brought the meaning of some of those songs into sharper focus. One example was the song, Yours, which addresses how everything in the world belongs to God. In this song in particular, I had come to a new realization, he said, there's not an inch of creation that God doesn't look at and say, all of that is mine. And as a result of that realization in conjunction with his daughter's death, Chapman added a new verse to the song, Yours. Here's what it says, and I'm not going to sing it for you. (laughs) I've walked the valley of death's shadow so deep and dark that I could barely breathe. I've never had to let go of more than I could bear, and I've questioned everything that I believe. Still, even here in this great darkness, a comfort and a hope comes breaking through. As I can say in life or death, God, we belong to you. And while the mind games threaten to consume him, while the unbelief you know, ventured into his world and caused him to ask these questions and to make these demands of God. Stephen Curtis Chapman found strength in the faithfulness of God. Look, if you would, in your own Bibles to the book of Psalms. Go to the middle uh, of your Bible to Psalm 139. And it's here we get a little glimpse of the journal or the heart of a man by the name of David. And let me just read a few verses of, of Psalm 139 here for you, if I may, as he just pours out his heart before God. He says this, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. These are profound words. These are encouraging words. These are great words. But there are a couple of words that stand out to me here this morning that I just simply want to share to you. Verse 8 again, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And that's our promise, that we have a God who is willing to go to the depths with us. And this does not explain why, why we suffer pain or why we have to face this agony or this hardship. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I can't promise you we'll answer that. But the Bible, God's own words, reassure us that God loves us enough to go to the depths with us. That when life stinks, when everything seems to be falling apart, that there is a God in heaven who is there with us. 
As A.W. Tozier says, God is always with us. He is always present. He is here, close to and next to us at all times. God is everywhere here, close to everything, next to everyone. He is imminent in His creation. There is no place in heaven or earth or hell where men may hide from His presence. He is infinite. He knows no limits. There can be no limit to His presence. He is omnipresent. In His infinitude, He surrounds the finite creation and contains it. There is no place beyond Him for anything to be. God is our environment as the sea is to the fish and the air to the bird. God has never abandoned us. He has always been there. And He was with there, there with the Chapman family when they lost their little girl. He was there with you when the phone call came in and when the letter arrived in the mail. He has never been absent. Our God is with us in the heights of life, and He is always there in the depths of life. We cannot flee from His presence, and He has never once abandoned you in this world. God is always there. I want to conclude with this. Back over to the book of Judges. There's this little exchange that takes place between Gideon, who has pronounced that he believes that God has abandoned them, and this exchange between the angel of the Lord, who Gideon has not yet realized is God himself. And there's this little science experiment of sorts that takes place. You can read it for yourself later on today where there's some broth involved and some goat's meat, and Gideon lays this out on an altar. And in a moment's notice, the angel of the Lord consumes everything that has been laid on the altar with fire. And as any of us would be, Gideon was a little startled at that moment. But look at his response in Gideon's chapter, or not Gideon's, the book of Judges. If you have the book of Gideon in your Bible, you might have a misprint. All right, Judges chapter 6, verse 22. It says, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Those words have just been sticking with me over the last week. This ah, sovereign Lord moment that Gideon had where he realized that he was not standing by himself, that as he was working in this cave or this hole over these last seven years, that at no time had God ever been absent. And maybe this morning you find yourself in a similar situation, something like that of Gideon. You know, you feel abandoned by God. He's let you down. He has not responded. He's, he's allowing you to suffer in your life right now. And maybe you need an ah, sovereign Lord moment. You just need this, this word of encouragement, this, this truth today that God is with you, that He has always been with you, that He is walking with you right now, and that He has promised that He will stay with you no matter if you're in the heights of life or in the depths of life. And you need to take some time to realize that God has never abandoned you and that He has always been here. And here's what I think is so important to realize, that for Gideon, his circumstances had not yet changed. The invasion was still taking place. He was still hiding in the mountains. He was still in poverty, and he was still in great need. But in this particular moment, God graciously came into his life and reminded him that he had always been there. And while nothing had changed, everything had changed. Because a man who had once felt lost is now consumed once again by a God who is faithful, 
who is willing to go to the depths of, with us and who has always loved us. And so that's our hope and our prayer for you this morning. As we enter into this second time of worship today, I'm going to invite you to pray in your own life with your own story in mind, with your own experiences and your own past or the unknown or uncertain future that God today in His goodness would give you an ah, sovereign Lord moment where you will just simply realize that we have a God who loves us, that takes care of us, and that is willing to walk with us. And my prayer is that He will be faithful to you and do whatever He needs to do in your life to encourage you. And that doesn't mean that when you walk out of these doors and go home today that your story will change. But could you receive some power and strength today in knowing that God never lets us down? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace and for Your strength. We thank You for Your patience in our life as we let You down over and over again. And God, the great advantage that we have here this morning is that You know every bit of our stories. You know all of the details. You know everything that we have ever faced. You know what lies ahead. And You know what it's going to take to get us through. Father God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would be faithful in working in our lives here this morning to encourage us, to empower us, and to give us the strength that we need, Lord, so that we can trust in you no matter what we may face. And so as we go into this time of worship this morning, God, I pray that we would read the lyrics to these songs and be encouraged. I pray that we would offer them up as worship to you so that your name can be glorified. But we pray, God, that as we sing these words and as we say these prayers, that you would do a great work inside of us, helping us to realize that you have never abandoned us, that you love us, and that you care for us. For those who are sitting here today, Father, who do not know you, do not even know and understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or are still confused or are still trying to put some pieces together, would you encourage them today? Would you assure them that you can do a work in their life as well? And we lift all, all this up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.